This is Life, Body, Business, Impact with Fatima. Welcome, friends. I'm so grateful to have you here. I'm your host, Fatima Ingalls, fitness expert, best-selling author, lifestyle entrepreneur, founder of the Life, Body, Business, Fit Systems, and co-founder of the amazing Freedom Retreats. My mission is to positively impact 10 million lives, to inspire you to wake up and live from your bucket list of dreams instead of waking up one day with a bucket list of regrets. Get ready to be inspired with weekly episodes and interviews that disrupt your thinking and motivate you to build your best life, body and business. To change one life is to change many. So come with me now and let's get started with yours. beautiful people. Welcome to another interview and episode. Today, I am chatting with Mitchell Villani, who is a Heal Thyself coach, an iridologist, and former semi-pro ice hockey player and Australian representative. Now, Mitchell was not always a health coach. It was his own journey that set him on this path. His career as an ice hockey athlete was cut short when injuries led him to endure chronic nerve pain for years. The painful journey broke Mitchell physically, financially, spiritually, and mentally. He became addicted to pain medication, which led to an onslaught of side effects, such as depression and suicidal inclinations. But he is a long way from where he was now. He has healed and now helps others heal their own health conditions with alternative health practices. Mitchell, we are blessed to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here and welcome. Uh, Thank you so much, Fatima. It's an absolute blessing to be here. So I'm excited to have a chat with you. I'm excited to chat with you and learn from you as well. So um, let's get straight into it. Why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about your life as an athlete before your career-ending injury? What were your hopes and dreams, and what happened when you realised this was ending? Sure, sure. So, um, as you mentioned, like, yeah, I used to play ice hockey, um, and hockey's been a big part of my life since the age of 11. Uh, Always been playing inline hockey and ice hockey, and just uh, worked really hard. I was that that kid, uh, and some people might be related to this, I was always getting cut from the state team, but I was never really great in the beginning, so I worked really, really hard on uh, mastering that skill and getting much better and and that actually created this really competitive nature in me and eventually through about five years of working on on, uh, in hockey I ended up started making state teams I started playing for Australia and had the opportunity to go live in Canada for a year as well so that's where I learned a lot of my skill set coming back to Australia from there um, that's when I was at the age of 16 I really started just putting all my eggs in one basket and really wanting to not only play for the Adelaide team, we've got right now here in Adelaide, we've got the Australian Ice Hockey League and got the Adelaide Adrenaline. Back then it was called the Adelaide Avalanche. So yeah, I had many years there. So I played five years in, in that league and got to play in the Australian men's division as well. So I was very fortunate of how my hard work really paid off. Um, it wasn't just something that I woke up and was naturally gifted at this sport. Um, so around, it was for me uh, in 2010, so during, during this time as well, um, a little bit of a backstory. Again, I'm not a very tall player or a tall person. I'd like to, when I describe myself, I'm, I want to say I'm fun-sized. Um, so when I play against other players, they're normally a lot taller than me. They're around the six, six foot, six three, even some being extremely tall at six six. Um, and I'm at like five six. So it's a bit of a difference in, in, in weight. And ice hockey is a very, very physical sport. So the one skill that I had to be really great at was my agility and my speed to get out of dangerous situations of being hit by these players. Uh, that didn't always work out. So sometimes I'd get hit badly and I ended up, um, during my career, I've had three left shoulder reconstructions. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and broken a few bones and I've dislocated my right shoulder a few times as well. Just and, in a day's uh, work, Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there was a lot of, it wasn't always like, yeah, I'm just doing great. I had a lot of time off during my career, rehab, surgeries. Uh, but I love the sport so much that I just kept pushing myself, even when I probably shouldn't have. Um, and so it was in 2010 where I had to retire, had to hang up my skates um, just because I dislocated my shoulder again. And basically the doctor said, look, if you keep going, you know, you won't be able to lift a cereal box by the age of 50. You're going to create that, that much like uh, arthritic pain in the shoulder. So I was like, okay. And that was heartbreaking, really heartbreaking. Yeah, I can um, imagine. You know, when you, when you work so hard on something and it's your dream, it's your passion, because not only did I just not want to play in Australia, I'd love to play in Europe at a, at a semi-professional level. Uh, that, was, that was my dream. That was my desire that I was really um, aiming for. But my body 
decided to take a turn um, and I had to listen to it. And during, during that time, it was really tough because when you have an identity, especially when I was very proud of what I achieved because I worked so hard on it, like, you know, like anyone would work so hard on either their career or, you know, as mothers being working on their children and, and wanting to bring them up and um, anything that we put a lot of time and effort into, we start identifying ourselves to that thing. And when that thing is no longer a part of you, like ripping it like part of your body off which was like when you you know i used to introduce myself to people like what do you do it was like oh you know i play ice hockey for australia i do this i was very proud of that and when i couldn't play anymore and people were like what do you do i really didn't know what to respond with i it felt like i lost uh, my identity and that's when i first went through um my first uh, bout of depression which i had no idea what depression was at that time that was in 2010 uh, How old so were you I, was, then? I was 20 21 was was my age then and so I was just and the, the hardest part about that was, was just reaching my prime so you know it wasn't like I, I, I achieved all my goals and I was happy to retire I was like just starting to get into it um, and that was that was probably the biggest thing to to handle uh, and, and let go of so having to give up hockey I started focusing on my uh, professional career in finance so I was actually studying a uh, double degree in finance and international business and uh, did that, but I was really struggling to complete that, but I did, but that was just because I was so depressed and I didn't have that outlet that hockey used to give me. Um, and over the years, I was, all I did was um, just got into, got into the financial uh, environment and started doing that and started climbing the corporate ladder, as one does, And because that's just a part of who I am. Everything I, I put my energy towards, I want to do really well. Um, so during this time, it was around 2013, so about three years had passed by now, mm-hmm. that um, I had rehabbed my shoulder, everything was feeling really good. And a couple of my friends were just like, you know, Mitch, you know, you should come back and play some hockey again, just like beer league. Like, I was like, you know what, that like, sounds like a great idea. So I ended up playing just like a beer league, um, no contact, and I had so much fun. You know, once we, we can get back into our passions and things that we used to do as a kid, um, life really starts to get exciting. So I was, for about two years there, I was playing non contact hockey and having an absolute blast. Um, but the confidence grew back. <laughs> and oh, and the risk-taking, got, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, and the risk-taking. So I got invited to play for um, a national tournament here in Adelaide. So he was playing what we call um, the Browns tournament, which is an open men's tournament, uh, state tournament. So, you know, South Australia, Victoria, Queensland, WA, uh, and that was full contact. And I hadn't played full contact in three years. And so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'm going to take the risk. I'm really up for it, and it was a great experience. You know, I didn't. I was so nervous for trying out for a team. I haven't tried out for a team in so long that, um, but it worked out really well. I ended up becoming captain of that team. Um, it was the first tournament South Australia's ever won a gold medal. Uh, we were undefeated. Um, I was high point scorer. It was an amazing. I was like, oh my gosh, like I was felt like I was my old me again. But when in in ice hockey or in footy or anything like that, when you've got a good player who's like really got like a lot of a lot of points up on the on the scoreboard. You try to take them out of the game, or you try to man man up on them and, and try to uh, um, reduce their their ability to uh, make an impact. So we played against Queensland in the grand final, and it was actually I found this out two years later that the coach of Queensland sent a player out there to to hurt me on purpose to take me out of the game. And it was in the second period. So in ice hockey, you have three periods. So they're, they're three twenty minute periods. And it was in the second period that I went into the boards. So if anyone doesn't know much too much about ice hockey, there's boundaries within in ice hockey and they're like walls and they're called boards. So the puck was at the boards. I went to the boards and I got hit. This guy came and hit me uh, in the back, which you're not allowed to do. It's a very dangerous hit. And I went head first into the boards and I was going quite quickly. That resulted in me dislocating both my shoulders, cracked a rib and didn't know that at the time, but I protruded three of my discs in my neck. Oh my uh, goodness which caused an onslaught of pain, yeah, for a few that years. That sounds horrific. That. Yeah, so it was pretty much the, the equivalent of being in a car accident. But when you're in that adrenaline state, like I just, for me, obviously, you know, I don't recommend this. It was very stupid of me and very prideful thing, but I dislocated my, I put my shoulders back in. I was a captain. I didn't want to show that I was hurt when I was really was, and I finished the game and we won. Um, but during when I was in the change room celebrating with the team, my body went into shock. And my heart rate was at, I think it was close to like 180 uh, resting heart rate. And oh my goodness. Uh, I got rushed to the hospital. And then through that, they did some scans um, and found out all the injuries that I had, had done to my body. So, yeah, that's, that's what started this journey of being in massive pain. That's how it began is so, uh, through hockey. 
that injury absolutely sounds horrific. I was yeah. wondering in relation to the injury and the speed, what sort of speed are you going at when you're playing ice hockey? Do you know? Yeah, uh, you know, like top speed, you can get to like 40 to 50 if you're going really, really fast. Like if you're skating without any type of hit or anything like that. So this is kilometres. Um, they say ice hockey is the fastest sport in the world without machines. Uh, wow. And then to have that connection with that other player at the same time, I wonder it was like the, the force of, you know, being in a car accident and injuries that you yeah. that you received. So that was in 2013. That's correct. Okay. Yep. So obviously you had to retire and I'm imagining you had a major journey on your hands. What yeah, happened so after that? Like you'd been in depression. Did the depression continue? Well, yeah, the, the depression became a lot worse. Um so, yeah, the depression beforehand started to, to go away because I got to play hockey again. I got to do what I love doing. But this pain, like nerve pain, I don't know if any of your listeners are going through this, but it was much, much different to anything I felt before. Muscular pain, dislocations, broken bones. I knew what that pain was. But this, this other pain, I was just like, there's something wrong with my body and I don't know what's going on. I could barely, I don't know if you've ever woken up that enough with like a crooked neck, like you slept the wrong way and your neck's really stiff. Um, yes. Barely, barely move, and you have to move your whole, twist your whole upper torso to to, to see, see around you. That's what it was like for me for about two and a half years. So it, I, it, ha- I can't imagine like the amount of pain, especially with all the injuries that you have experienced. I had a protrusion or a, a herniation between my L5 and S1 some years back, and I'd never experienced that sort of um, nerve type pain. So to magnify it probably by ten, if not more, for what you have gone through, I definitely would not want to experience that. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, Where it's, did you go from there? Like, go? You know, 2013, you had all this pain and injury. Um, you would have been on medication. What happened between now and between then, and you coming to this point of healing yourself and turning to alternative medicines? You said you had suicidal inclinations, and obviously the depression got worse. Talk us through that little period before you decided to go onto this journey of alternative healing. Like like anything, when we go through the pain or disease or chronic disease. And we're not too sure what it is at first. We just know something's not right with our body. Um, we go to the doctor, right? Like we, we go to the doctor and, and, you know, explain our symptoms and they will do our best to go, okay, maybe you have to go see a specialist. So you go to a specialist and, and then obviously that's what I did. But unfortunately for me, that's not what happened at first. Is the doctor, they just thought it's something else. So they just maybe like have panadine sports, have this, and all these type of drugs, uh, anti-inflammatory drugs. They don't even touch the side of nerve pain. But what they do do is they actually can create a lot of issues within the stomach and create stomach ulcers. So I was on, I was on these type of drugs for about three months doing nothing. And so eventually uh, I actually saw an osteopath. Um, so they end up saying, look, I think you have protruding discs in your neck that are impinging on the nerves. Go get an MRI. So I got an MRI and the osteopath was correct. I, in my C4, C5, C6, uh, I had three protruding discs impinging on my nerves. And for those who don't understand nerve pain, it's not just in the area of, the, for me, the neck. It's a referral pain as well. So it goes in the back of the shoulder, uh, into you know the, the traps, the back of the, yeah, the, the forearm, and into my left hand. So it was all on my left side of the body. It was just referring like a sharp pain, dull pain. Felt like it was burning. Sometimes it felt like it was ice cold. But the worst thing about nerve pain is it's constant. It never goes away. It's always there, either at a three or at a ten. Um, and it's just exhausting. Being pain all the time is the most exhausting thing. So whoever is going through nerve pain and may be listening to this, uh, I understand and you're not alone and it can be healed. So from that point, I was like, I'll go see a, a surgeon, a neurosurgeon, uh, a specialist in that. And it was probably a really good conversation I had with a neurosurgeon being at 26 at this time. And he just said, look, you're the perfect candidate to do surgery on. What we need to do is fuse all three discs. And he goes, but because, you know, normally this is done on 50 plus year olds. No, but he said, this surgery can be very dangerous. You know, if we make one mistake on the nerves, you potentially could become a quadriplegic. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's the risk involved. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, as a 26-year-old, okay. you're sitting there and going, hang on a second, you know, look. At, and I said, what's the risk? And he said, look, it's low, but it potentially it could be high as well. We don't be sure. It could be like a 25% risk. And I'm like, that's one in four chances of me becoming a quadriplegic. That's a pretty that's, big risk. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've made bets. That are, that are higher risk like that. Like I was just like, I wouldn't want to risk my, my life on this. So I was yeah. very, very scared. And I don't know, when, when fear really hits someone, like even if people go into a specialist and say, you know, you've got cancer or you've got, you know, this, this, and this, straight away, you think the worst scenario. And when fear kicks into your system, straight away that will increase stress. And straight away that will increase inflammation. 
and that inflammation will create more pain or more disease in the body, which it did to me. So here I am at 26, freaked out of my mind, going, what the heck do I need to do? But I, the best thing the specialist said to me is like, look, do everything you possibly can first, but do it before doing surgery. This is your last option. I'm like, okay, done. So went back to the doctors. They prescribed me with nerve painkillers this time. So this time I was taking uh, drugs called Endone, Targan, and Lyrica. And I hope if anyone is on these drugs that's listening, do your very best to get off these things ASAP. These things are complete poison to your body. Um, for someone who's ever had Endone, Endone can really just make you kind of be out of it. I was taking, at the end of my six months of taking these drugs, I was taking them for six months, uh, I was taking eight Endone a day, about 600 milligrams of uh, Lyrica, and I forget how much Targan. And Targan is what they call the brother of heroin. So it would wow. help me just knock me out and go to sleep, but I'd wake up feeling hungover, um, very foggy, brain fog, um, to the point where, here's a great example. So these three drugs, side effects, and we need to be aware of what these drugs do. Uh, the three main side effects for these drugs were loss of concentration, depression, and suicidal inclinations. Well, I got all three quite badly. Um, I was working uh, in the finance industry still, and my performance at work definitely dropped. Uh, I was about to ask remember, about that. How, how yeah. did you manage, with, you know, whether you were still working, and how do you manage to work in that field of finance while dealing with all yeah. of this and being on these, on these drugs with these uh, major side effects? Didn't manage well, Fatima. That's it. <laughs> uh, I would say I was like a functioning drug addict. Like I just wake up, take my drugs, go to work, take my drugs, get home, take my drugs, um, just to get me through the day. And when we take drugs, of especially painkillers, the body starts to um, become very used to it, and it doesn't have the same effect that it like it normally would. So we have to increase the dosage. So and then by increasing the dosage, obviously it's going to do more damage long term. So you know, painkillers are a great thing. Like they are amazing. However, we need to start getting uh, working with the you know the Western medical system of how we can incorporate them, but also have a plan to get off them quickly, uh, and incorporating health principles to get off them quickly. Normally, that's not the case. It's like just take this drug, and you know you're going to be on this for the rest of your life, um, and that's just 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 not a smart tactic. It's just a band-aid treating a symptom. It's not actually going to the root cause of the issue. So. Yeah, being on these drugs at work was very difficult. And I remember one day in particular, and this is when I quit my job because uh, I just knew I was just, this was not getting any better. I had a, a very big high paying client and I had my assistant put the phone call through to me. It's like, hey, this person's on the call. I'm like, yep, put them through. And within the time that they put them through to me on the phone, I answered the phone call and said, hi, mom, how are you doing? <gasps> and, I, and my boss was looking at me going, miss that. <laughs> Not your mum, mate. Like, get off the phone. What are you doing? And I just was like, where am I? I completely forgot that I was at work. I didn't know where I was, what I was doing. And that's the power of these drugs. The complete loss of concentration. Like I was, I was just, and then, you know, thank God, like, I had a really good support system around me at work that they took the phone call and thing. And that my boss sat me down, like, what's going on? I lost it. I cried. I just, just said, this is where I'm at. This is my state. And I had to quit my job. So, um, yeah, that was, that was a big low point of going, crap, this is, this is starting to rob me of my life. And I've got to start paying attention to this. So I was, I had a really nice apartment in Glenelg. Um, I had to, I had really supportive parents who said, you know, quit your job, move out of your apartment, move back in with us. It's time to recover. Now, I am so fortunate for that. And I can't thank God and my parents enough for that because a lot of people don't have that support system. It's and so important, isn't so, it? Yeah, yeah. When anyone's sick, chronically ill, support system is number one. Like if you don't have the right support system, it's going to be very hard for you to heal. Uh, so that's yeah, not just... I guess through any sort of trauma, you know, yeah. injury, um, emotional breakdown, relationship breakdown, facing major health challenges, that support network is is crucial for anyone who that I, who I've spoken to and probably yourself as well, who've come through the other end of this um, in a good way. They've always had that great support network around them. Yeah, absolutely. And most people don't realise that they do. They're just too scared to open up and be vulnerable that they're going through a hard time. And so yeah, during that, I, I quit my job and and. Uh, I remember um, at that point, it hit my lows of my lows. I became very depressed and suicidal inclinations really started kicking in because I just wanted to be free from pain. I just didn't want to feel this pain anymore. And I, it was very, I remember one night particularly where I, I, almost, I almost did it. But through that, getting to that almost my lowest point, I hit this place of surrender. And this place of like, I, I ended up, you know, getting very, and very angry at God or a creator or that other people might think universe or energy. And I was very victim mentality. Why me? 
why me? What have I done wrong to deserve this? And that's very easy for anyone going through chronic pain, trauma, depression, suicidal inclinations, any type of chronic disease. It's very easy to go into that frame of mind. And it doesn't serve us. It really doesn't serve us. We're asking the wrong question. And I remember being at the beach yelling at nighttime <laughs> and just crying my heart out, just like just crying, crying, crying. And um, I just started asking God, if you're real, you know, I'd love for you to just show me a sign or help me through this because I'm done. I can't, I can't carry this burden anymore. And it was actually in that moment I felt this sense of peace that I can't describe um, and felt that God had my back and that he was with me and said everything's going to be okay. And that made me feel just such a relief. Still felt the pain, but I just felt relieved that I'm not on my own. I don't have to carry this burden. And it was in that moment of surrender where, again, when we're victims, we just want a miracle. We want a quick drug. We want a quick fix. We want to get away from this. But in that moment, I got this message, and this is the message I share with my clients because it helped serve me to continue fighting the fight, that miracles don't provide maturity. We want that miracle. And sure, I could have got that miracle. Sure, God could have healed me. Sure, maybe a miracle drug or I could have got the surgery. Uh, but I would have gone back to the same person I was, which was a person who really liked to drink, who loved to, you know, get rowdy with the boys, go eat chicken smitties and do all this other stuff and kind of abuse my body a bit. But because I didn't get that miracle, I started learning all these health principles of how I can heal myself and I've matured in that. And that was the best thing. And like I say to people, it's the worst pain I've ever been through and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but it's the best thing I've ever been through because it, it made me the man I am today. So to really kind of wrap that up is, I was at that point of being suicidal and then I think when Ricardo was talking about support systems, it was the hardest thing to admit to my parents because I had so much shame that their son was at that point. Um, but it was, it was the best thing I could do and then my parents had my back and it was really, it was, a, it was a journey from there. So at that point, I was like, okay, I need to start doing stuff. So I had savings and I just started spending it. I was seeing the chiropractor five times a week, seeing osteopath once a week, seeing a physio once a week, or seeing acupuncturist once a week. Um, I even did things like crazy things where I saw a guy I kid you not, laying on a bed of nails, right? Like with these nails had like um, iron, uh, silver, gold, and some other minerals in it. So it would actually um, pierce two layers of the epidermis, your skin, to help draw blood and reduce the inflammation. And it was poking me with like a volcanic rock. I was doing anything and everything to reduce this pain. Wow. Um, so I had food. Yeah, go. You, you really obviously pulled out all stops and invested in your health. Like, I just want to take it back to something you said a little bit earlier. I mean, there was there's so much you shared. And first, I want to say thank you for being so open and vulnerable about what you're sharing, because there are people out there going through similar similar circumstances, and it may not be through a specific injury, but something else I've got going on in their life that can relate to what you have what you have shared. I mean, you said you almost did it. And I know you were referring to to suicide. So I'm so grateful that you didn't. Um, but thank you for being so open and sharing that with us. And so much yeah. amazing information you've shared. But you, you mentioned that miracles don't provide maturity. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. That, I've never thought of it that way, but it, the way you put that, the fact that it's helped you grow into, I mean, you could have received that miracle and healed, but you are now impacting other people's lives with the work that you are doing through what you have mm -hmm. been through yourself and not getting that, that quick miracle to heal. Yeah. So I really honour that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been, that's, been the, the thing that's carried me through and it's, it's changing the perspective we all go through um, all go through trials and tribulations all of us and it's coming down to the reason we play the victim is because it's not meeting our expectation of how we thought our life would turn out and when we can start to looking back and going hey maybe just maybe this is the best thing that ever happened to me what if that this circumstance grows me so that i can actually help other people what if this this circumstance actually helps me to become stronger so I can add more value to people's lives. And so that's the way I started to change my perspective on the nerve pain, on the injury of what I was going through, through depression, suicidal inflammation. What if I'm meant to go through this? This is part of my life journey. And so when I started asking the what if um, in that circumstance, instead of going, well, you know, why is this happening to me? I changed the question and I encourage anyone who may be in this state of depression, suicidal inflammation, pain, chronic, whatever it is, change this one question, it will change your life. Instead of why is this happening to me, go, why is this happening for me? Yeah. When you just change that two and four, and you just and you don't have to have the answer, but when you can just know maybe there's just a deeper, deeper reason I'm going through this that I can't even see into the future why, but just trust that it is going to support you and grow you and help you. Therefore, you instead of get trying to resist it, because as you may know, Fatima, whatever we resist will persist, right? 
So 100%. We, keep resisting this pain. we keep resisting this pain, we keep resisting this depression, we keep resisting suicidal inflammation, whatever it may be that you're resisting, we'll keep persisting. But when we can go, all right, I'm going to stop resisting and I just know that it's happening for me and I'm thankful for this, even though it's hurt, even though it's painful and ugly and it wouldn't wish it on anyone else, this is my journey. When we can get out of the way, it's, it kind of just stops going. It's, it, it's, it's, it's easier to deal with. We can start walking with it rather than trying to fight against it. And so I started changing my mentality on that. And that was an easy thing to do, though. It didn't happen overnight. I had to continue to do this daily. Trust me, I had days on like, I don't want this anymore. It's giving my miracle. But, you know, when we can have the right support systems, we can start changing our question, our perspective on our circumstance. That's when our life can start to change and dramatically change. And we, for me, like, even I had, I, you know, I went through all these, all these uh, other alternative therapies, yeah, as I mentioned. Um, I had two cortisone injections in my neck. That did nothing. And cortisone is pure poison. That will make your bones brittle. Um, so, you know, if you, if you can avoid cortisone injections, please do. I didn't know that at the time. A lot of the stuff I did, I didn't know at the time. I just trusted my doctors. Um, and I even trusted, you know, when I went down to the medication, um, that it was doing something great for me. But, you know, the research, the side effects and, and the chemical imbalances it's doing to your body is, is just pure poison. Went to functional medicine, taking a lot of uh, supplements, and that was costing me a lot of money. And so nothing, I, it kind of managed the pain but it didn't heal it. It was like a Band-Aid, yeah? And that's what a lot of, of what we're doing today is that we want that quick fix. So I still hadn't found the answer. And it was about a year and a half of this journey, still in pain, trying to do everything. I couldn't find it. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm meant to get the surgery. Maybe that's part of my journey. So I accepted it, went back to the neurosurgeon, booked in for my surgery. And I was very afraid, like very scared. Um, you know, many, many, I was crying. I was, but I just had to trust. And it was only... A week prior to the surgery, and this is what blows my mind, uh, my mum came to me. She said, hey, look, there's this guy coming to Adelaide to speak on health, and he believes that you can heal anything through the food you eat. And I just laughed at my mum. I was like, shut up. I'm like, this is, this is, this is a quackery. This is like, trust me, mum, I've tried everything. It's not going to work. But I went and appeased my mum. Uh, so I just went with her and listened to this guy speak for three hours, and it felt like 10 minutes. And I was so angry that there was this man on stage speaking about food as medicine and, you know, holistic, holistic lifestyle medicine that I hadn't heard from one doctor, hadn't even heard from a naturopath, hadn't heard from other alternative therapies. I'm like, why has no one told me this? And I was like, he had an online program for, I think it was 12 weeks, and it was $1,500. And by that time, a year and a half, I'd spent all my life savings on alternative therapies, drugs, supplements, things like this. I had $550 actually left in my account and a deposit on that night was 500 bucks. And I was like, mum, let's put the surgery on hold. I want to do this. This is my last option. If this doesn't work, I'll do the surgery. So I pretty much was all in financially and it changed my life. Now, this person that I, I listened to, his name's Tyler Solomon, who is now uh, a great friend of mine. Uh, he was my teacher and mentor, but, and, and, and he's now my business partner and, and friend of mine. Uh, so what he taught me there in regards to you deal with nerve pain, you're dealing with inflammation. You've got to deal with inflammation first in the body. That's the major thing. And so he taught me all principles like, you know, going completely plant-based, you know, get rid of animal protein because animal protein is highly inflammatory to the body. It's acidic. It's an acidic food. I was like, okay. And, and so some of your listeners can understand. I was, you know, I, I had a healthy lifestyle already. I was brought up from my mom. She very much cared about what we put into our, into our bodies, but being back into an athletic kind of state, I thought, you know, I need more protein. Give me the protein. I need to build my body. So I was actually, you know, steamed vegetables, chicken breast, you know, steak, you know, eggs. I was eating all that. Typical so athlete was, kind of a diet. Yeah, typical athlete kind of diet. And I just didn't, I thought that was very healthy for me. And I was still eating this way while going through all the alternative therapies, just not knowing that that wasn't actually aiding my health. And so... Yeah, I was like, okay, I'll do whatever it takes. So I did some crazy things from that point. When you're in so much pain, you're willing to do whatever it takes. Um, saying no to meat or any type of animal protein is very easy. You're like, yep, cool, no worries. So I completely went. You've got leverage on yourself, haven't you? Like, you know, yeah. if you're not yeah. unwell, you may not um, have the incentive to go and make these changes. But when people become so unwell, it doesn't happen to everyone. There's people who, who will get cancer, as you know, that don't want to make certain changes. And I'm not saying there's a, you know, one way or another way is completely right or wrong. But when you have these health challenges, sometimes you just go, you know what, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And if that means giving up something I thought I loved and couldn't live without, I don't care because not having this pain or having a quality of life that I used to is more important than giving this up. 
Yeah. And that's one of the best places to be in. Like, to be honest, like when I see, when I have my clients come in and ask them, like, what urgency, you know, scale of one to 10, how badly do you want to have your healing? How badly are you willing to change? Anyone, if you say I'm at an eight or a 10, they're people I can work with. But if they're like, oh, I'm at a seven, I'm like, hmm, not painful enough. They're not willing, yeah, not willing to do what yeah. it takes at that point or give up, you know, give up enough to make that impactful change. Um, personally, I had yeah. autoimmune issues um, after an, a trauma in my own life and I never would have given up chocolate and the way I ate, which was terrible. Um, I've not gone to the, ex- had to go to the extreme that you have, but when I had vitiligo um, starting to creep, you know, on my face and my body, which if you don't know what vitiligo is, it's um, an autoimmune disease where basically your pigmentation cells are affected. I mean, Mitch, you might be able to explain this a little bit better, but I've got tanned skin um, and I was starting to have really white patches of skin um, come onto my body. So I was willing to do whatever it took to to stop that, including giving up chocolate. And for anyone who knew me, I ate a lot of chocolate every single day. So I was in enough pain, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm working with a client right now who has the same thing, and I'm supporting them to heal that. And it's it's the thing with the uh, logo is the the hardest thing with that is it's so visible, right? And there's a lot of like, oh gosh, I don't want to go outside. And even going outside, if you burn it, it's it's really tough. Um, so. There's a lot of uh, self-confidence issues start to drop with that, with that autoimmune disease. Um, so that's another thing you have to deal with on a mental scale. So, yeah, look, um, and so what, you, you completely healed yourself from that? Where are you at with that? Completely healed myself. So I had Amazing. to completely change, change my life. Not only that, uh, after that I had uh, alopecia because of a lot yep. of stress that I had going on in my life. Um, story for another day. But I had to go back to the naturopath. As soon as I saw this bald spot, it was like the size of a 50-cent piece, um, I was working as a personal trainer at the time and went to the bathroom, fixed my hair and just saw this gaping, this big gap. And I went, oh, my God. I kept it together for the last client, went home and basically cried for two days, um, going like, what, you know, that victim mentality, why is this happening to me after everything I've just been through and I'm going through? Why is this happening to me? And then I just went right back to the naturopath. And I actually went on a paleo diet then. Um, completely changed what I was eating. I wasn't a huge meat eater anyway, but yeah, completely changed what I was eating. Um, had to really address stress levels. Um, yeah. And yeah, I I went to the doctor. They told me to go off and have an injection in my head. And I was like, that didn't make sense to me when I did my research. So again, I went back to the naturopath and looked for alternative methods to heal. I was able to heal that. So I didn't have any further balding and my hair grew back. And that was, I don't know, maybe four, five, five years ago. Um, and vitiligo, alopecia, no other autoimmune issues have have come up for me but I did have to do a lot of work on on healing the gut and and it was a long process like my healing was years yeah and that's and I'm, I'm so proud of you like I'm really happy to hear that and that's just to show it goes to show that autoimmune diseases can be reversed you know you can heal yourself and that's why I call myself a heal thyself coach I can't heal you only you can heal you right your body has the amazing ability it's always wanting to heal right and anyone's going through dis-ease meaning that the body's not at ease anymore right and you, you have like, you know, autoimmune diseases or you have depression or suicidal pain or arthritis. That's just your body communicating to you that something's out of whack, right? Your body is so intelligent that it's making you feel depressed. Like I tell people, the reason why we go through depression is because we've got so much inflammation in the body. Inflammation, think of fire in the body, you've got fire in the brain, right? And when that happens, it normally can be like a viral issue, it can be parasites, it can be whatever. Your, your body, because we're such social creatures, you know, it's, I think it's like an evolutionary process. Well, it will, depression, one of the biggest symptoms is isolation. So you will end up isolating yourself from social situations so that you don't pass this on to anyone, right? And we don't go, we, and most people don't understand this. So your body works perfectly well. You're not broken. You don't need, uh, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just something like intone inside the body, something out, out of whack. And so when we can get to go, ah, okay. And that's what I did for myself. I'm like, oh my gosh, my body's communicating to me. Because I, the biggest thing that I, what I went through with nerve pain is I hated my body. I was so angry at my body for being weak and breaking down on me. And when you have that kind of mentality or relationship with your body, your body's going to keep breaking down. You're beating yourself up. That's not going to help you with your healing process. But when I changed that perspective, I'm going, hang on a second, my body is actually for me. My body's communicating to me. I was like, I'm, and I've abused my body. And I was like, and it's done a really good job holding me up to this point. Oh my yeah. gosh. And I end up looking at my body going, hang on, I, I love you. Thank you yeah. so much that you're communicating to me today. Maybe I do need to lie down. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, maybe I overdid it today. Thank you, body, for community. Oh, yeah, this is, I started, now I look at my body and I just go internally in my meditation, like, what do you need? I'm now partnering with my body instead of fighting against it, right? It's like whatever we resist, resist. Wow, that's amazing. Right? 
So most people, when they get this diagnosis, right, they're like, oh, something's wrong with me. I don't like myself. All this self, all this self doubt, and all this comes in, and it's not supported to the healing process. It creates more stress, more inflammation. So when we can get that kind of like, hang on, my body's very intelligent, then and get on board, things start to change. And I'm really, really happy to hear, and very proud of you. Like you said, it did, it did take a while, and healing does take time. And that's why most people aren't willing to take this path because we want that quick fix again. This didn't just for me in the healing journey didn't just be like, all right, you know, a week and I was better. It took months and months and months and months of being dedicated to changing my diet, drinking good water, getting good sunshine, cleaning my, <laughs> I'll go there, I'll go here, detoxing my body, cleaning my colon out, right? Doing things like this, doing juice, extended juice cleanses, doing water fast, really reducing this inflammation and doing certain movements to help strengthen my body back again and get it back in balance. So the way it's kind of like the way we're meant to live. We can get closer back to nature of how we've meant to live, grounding ourselves, getting to that negative charge, actually moving, going for a walk, drinking good water, getting good sunshine, eating healthy whole foods. We, are, we have to heal. But a lot of us don't do that. A lot of us wake up, you know, chronically stressed. There's, there's, I don't know if you know this, I don't know, but there's two kinds of nervous systems. We've got the sympathetic nervous system and the yeah. parasympathetic nervous system. And for any of those listeners, most of us in our Western society are dominated in our sympathetic nervous system. This is like your problem solving. This is your fight or flight response. This is your stress. It creates cortisol and adrenaline within the body. And we do that by like, as soon as we wake up, we look at our phone, you know, we start thinking about, you know, giving ourselves to other people, what we've got to do, crap, I'm not looking forward to this, or crap, I've got this deadline, blah, 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 and straight away, the body's like, all right, let's make more cortisol, let's get adrenaline, let's go, go, go. Um, and you do that over time and distance, and we do that all day till we go to bed. And that's why we struggle to, to switch off. And not Sorry. once are we in our parasympathetic nervous system. It's crazy. It is crazy, and I am familiar with them, um, having my own health and stress issues, but... Mm. How do you start speaking about all of that and what you do in the day? How do you now start your day? What is a typical? Oh, we'll go and talk about um, your water fast because, guys, Mitch has done, was it a 20 day water fast? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, so we'll it's talk, March this year, it's 20 days. We'll talk about that um, in a moment. But what is a typical day for you now that you have made all these changes? Um, not when you're on a water fast or a juice fast or a juice cleanse. Yeah. How do you typically start your day? Not just about your food, but just your daily practices. Yeah, great, great question. So, uh, basically, I give myself time and permission to wake up gently. So first thing I want to wake up, you know, I don't have my phone in my room. That's the first step. I have no electronics in my room. So I wake up and I go, yep, cool. And I just start like lightly stretching, you know, I kind of wiggle around in my bed. And I do this thing called seven rounds of seven. It's breath work. And it's just, I breathe in for seven seconds. I hold that for seven seconds. I exhale for seven seconds. And I hold that for seven seconds. And I do that seven times. So I'm getting connected to my breath and my body when I wake up. Okay. So there's straight away. That's an amazing start to your day. Then what I do is I get up and I, I grab my water. If I have about like a liter of water and I put like a bicarb soda, which is something completely different that I work with my clients on protocol to alkalize the body. And, and I'm drinking that and I go back into my bed because it's you know, especially winter right now, it's comfortable. And I sit up in my bed and I grab my phone and I put a, a guided meditation on for about 15, 20 minutes. And I'm just breathing and listening to that. And then what I do with that is I normally would get up and, and, and do some form of movement, uh, which I call like shake and bake, Tibetan riot which is like helps balance your endocrine system. And I don't do that every day. Sometimes I might go to the gym instead, uh, depending. So I have like a, a, on my off day gym, I'll do that. And then basically go for a walk, all right? And, and that's it. I'll do, do some reading or something like this. And that's my hour, okay? And make sure I, I dedicate an hour to me, all right? And some people are like, oh, I don't have the time. Well, you do. You just you know, haven't prioritized it. And trust me, I, right. this is... It's sometimes I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't do that all the time. Sometimes I like nothing sleeping in, like had a late night, and that's why you got to give yourself permission. But that when I get on that routine, my day is just—it's not more productive. It's just more flow. There's less stress. It's like, yep, that will get done. No, 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 I don't have to worry about that. All the bomb. Very more present in my day rather than being in the future or in the past. And then I'll say, yeah, the normal day would be—I don't really eat like eating till midday. I intermittent fast, um, like nearly every day. It's just I'm not hungry, so I don't force myself to eat. Um, I basically eat when I am hungry, and that normally comes around 12 or 1 o'clock. And so I normally just start with fruit or uh, overnight soaked oats, something like that. Um, work, well, I've got my office at my home. That's how I've created my life. Uh, but I'm looking to, to obviously change that, get my own clinic one day. That's the goal, it's a dream. But yeah, I'm just on the screen, and I just give myself permission to get away from the screen, go for a quick walk or do something else, and come back. And I work for about 5, 6 o'clock at night, have my, have my last meal around 7, and do my best to switch off, uh, which can be tough. You know, when you run your own business and, you, and you're working with a lot of clients and supporting, that can be tough. But as long as you've got that morning routine, that's how I started. So that's a normal day. 
yeah, how you start your days really, how you win your days, um, I guess what yeah. I personally learnt over time and speaking to so many successful um, people and entrepreneurs, successful not only from a business perspective but from being in a joyful place, joyful and healthy place in their life, um, one thing that comes up all the time is the importance of that specific morning routine and not um, getting onto electronics straight away mm. in the morning and doing some sort of um, gratitude or meditation kind of um, a practice in the morning. You know, it can be a little bit different for everyone, but but it's a same same general idea. So yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, gratitude yeah. is extremely important, you know, and that's a big part of my healing journey. You know, we can be so, like I said, we can beat ourselves up for the thing we're going through, but we don't give ourselves credit for the things that we are doing well. So, you know, I'd be like, look, even though I'm in nerve pain, I can still walk. Man, I'm grateful for that. Like, and it'd be the little things. And, you, and then you get into this flow of this gratitude state. And one big lesson, like I share this with you, and one that's helped me in my gratitude, is we can go like, oh, I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful for my car. I'm grateful for the income. I'm grateful for this. Things you already have, right? Yeah. But the best part of the gratitude is, Start being grateful for things that you are wanting to manifest, that you just trust that are going to be in your life. Because gratitude is a place of receivership, right? So when you say, look, I am so grateful that I have this business. You know, I'm so grateful that I get to be on podcasts with people and share my, my passion and my joy. I'm so grateful that, you know, one day I'll have an amazing partner uh, that she's going to come into my life. Like, when you can start being grateful for these things, you're going to be attracting these things. So you can be grateful for things you don't have yet, but you want. And that's a big part of my grateful, gratefulness kind of um, journey and what I do on a daily basis. I normally do it at night before I go to bed. Um, and that's how I kind of finish the day. 100% agree with all of that. Um, personally, I started off with having, you know, gratitude for, you know, the basic things every day. You know, yes, I've got these terrible things going on in my life, but I've still got my health. My, I've got all these um, legal challenges, financial challenges. Um, but a friend of mine has breast cancer and I don't. I've got my health. I'm very, very grateful that I have my health. Um, but learning about being grateful for things in the future was something that I learned some years later. I wasn't aware of, of doing that. And I think it really is is very, very powerful because I guess having gratitude for things in the future requires you have faith. And yeah. you can't live in a place of fear and faith at the same time. Mm. So it just changes your your perspective and and your level of vibration. So yeah. thank you very much for sharing all of that, Mitchell. Um I'd love for you to share with us, there's so much still to speak about, and we've been going for a little while, but great content. I'd love for you to share with us what it's like to water fast for 20 days. Like, guys, Mitch didn't drink, it didn't eat any food, right, for 20 whole days yeah. and just had water. So tell us why, firstly, you did that, <laughs> what that was like, you know, what challenges did you did you think of giving up? What was the biggest challenge to sticking to 20 days of water only? I don't, I can't imagine doing it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't recommend this for everyone. <laughs> uh, but like, just so people know a bit of background, like in my healing journey of healing my nerve pain, I have done multiple water fasts before. So I've done multiple, like three days, five days, seven days, uh, and you know that was the longest I've done multiple seven days. That's the longest I've been, and and that was in my own home. That was by working, uh, things like this. Uh, but I've done extended juice cleanses as well, so like fourteen days. So I've done a lot of cleansing before going into a very extended water fast. Okay. Um, and that that needs to be that needs to be really clear for everyone. And basically, the reason I did it this time is more so I wanted to see if I could. I wasn't in nerve pain. I didn't have anything wrong with me. I just wanted to be like, you know what? I read so much about extended fasting and what it can do for the body, and not only for the body but for your spirit and your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. I want to see what this all this hype is about because I've read it in books. You know, I know the power of fasting. Um, you know, for example. You know, we have this new kind of science coming up called stem cell therapy. Have you heard of that? Yes, I have. Yeah. And basically, they, what they do is they get the person, they, uh, in, they, they eject uh, fat out of the person and create stem cells from that, their own fat. And before injecting those stem cells back into the person or where they want to heal, they'll, they'll put another injection which will lower their immune system and lower a certain protein called PKA. And PKA stops our ability to uptake stem cells. So that, and then they inject the stem cells. Stem cells are like a neutral cell, like a blank cell that the body then goes, hey, we need more healing in the kidney or the liver or, you know, this particular bone. And then that cell will become the liver or the kidney or that bone. Uh, and it will just help really heal quickly. So science is amazing that the creative is, but stem cell therapy is expensive. It can be up to $17,000 to $50,000. Wow. Um, but all that they're mimicking is fasting. Fasting actually is the stem cell therapy. When we go into a fast, when we go past three days, we get hit this thing called ketosis. So the body starts feeding off fat stores. And then we go into a state of autophagy, which means the body's creating. And when we do hit those fat stores, the PKA drops. And therefore, stem cells are getting created while we're eating off the fat. 
stem cells start healing the body. So that's the process. Is I believe fasting is the fastest way to heal the body of anything. But we have to prepare before we go into it. We can't just go, you know, I want to go do a seven-day water fast. Or I want to go 10 days. Um, I don't recommend anyone do any over seven days without any medical supervision, uh, first and foremost. So it's very clear. And you have to get your blood done. So for me, I had to make sure that my B12, in particular your B12, is at a good level. You should never go into a water fast minerally deficient or vitamin deficient. If you do, you can do more damage. And that's, that's what most people don't understand. So fasting is a science. But yeah, so I was like, okay, did my blood, everything was great. I, I did, before I did that, colon cleanse, liver and gallbladder cleanse, skin cleanse, really ate really healthy, only ate fruit for five days before going into it. Bam. Picked up my tent, went to Byron Bay and pitched the tent in a caravan park and drank water for 20 days with a friend. Um, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And it was, I think at day eight is when it got easier. Uh, my mental strength and clarity became so strong. Uh, day 10, I felt really good. Um, and at the time, like the cool thing about this is where it comes down to nature and our healing and what true energy sources are, right? So we think food. We always talk about food all the time. Yeah, like diet, food, healing, food, food, food. But for me, food's like fourth is the fourth thing we should be talking about. The first thing we should be talking about is air and breathing. That's what truly creates health. That's what helps us to get back into our parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest, restore, and recovery system. So during a water fast, I'm breathing a lot. I'm intentionally doing breathing exercises, creating that energy, alkalizing my body. And then what I'm doing is I'm drinking good water, and that's your second energy source, because you can't go long without water, right? So you can't go long without oxygen. You just die pretty quickly. You can't go that long without air very quickly. The second and the third source of energy is, is sunshine. And that's why I went to Byron Bay, <laughs> because there's plenty of sunshine in Byron Bay, uh, and they've got good beaches, so I was soaking up in there. And going for a swim and there was days where I felt like I couldn't move because you do get fatigued during a water bath, right? You do get like light head spins and you can feel quite heavy. And there was days I'd wake up feeling like I had a three and I'd go to the beach, jump in the water, get some sunshine. I'd be at a 10 instantly. I'm like, bring on the day. I've got this. Drink some water. I'm fine. And not once, not once was I hungry. And that's what shocked me. I was like, oh gosh. Because I went in there going, yeah. I was laughing with my friend. I was like, um, who's Clint? Uh, his name is. I was like, Clint. 10 days is a pretty good effort, right? He's like, what are you talking about? We're going for 20. I was like, yeah, I know, but like 10 days is good. <laughs> Were you considering stopping? Well, no, I just didn't know if my body could go that long because I'm not a big guy. You know, I was, I was 60, 69 kilos, no, yeah, 69 kilos going into the water fast. Mm-hmm. And when I used to play off, I thought I was 80 kilos. So, no, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a really big guy. And I didn't think I had that much fat storage on my body to go 20 days. And I'll say this, the, the, the bigger you are and you've got more fat storage, the longer you can go in water fast. Right? Okay. So I was just like, oh, okay, um, let's see if I can do this. And I was shocked. I felt amazing at day 10. I was like, let's keep going. I'm like, oh, 14 days is pretty good. But 14, I'm like, no, nah, feel good. 17 days is pretty good. No, nah, I'm going to do this. So when I definitely hit like day, day 12, I was like, I've got this in the bag. Um, and yeah, it was just more so keeping myself busy, doing the routines, breathing, drinking good water, getting sunshine, doing some certain movements, reading good books. Um, having good conversations, meditating. Uh, and I got, during my water fast, I have one huge download. And that's one thing to do in water fast. You get very creative. A lot of downloads come in. It's either spiritually or mentally. Mental clarity comes in as well. That I believe that we have four appetites in our, our human existence. And the first appetite is your spiritual appetite, your spirit, which most of the time in Western society, that thing is hungry all the time. That thing starves because we're feeding the other three, which is your hunger, so food, all right? You've got the appetite of sex. You know, we're all driven by that. That's why in our nature is to reproduce. And we're always in this like, kind of almost, in our day, a very lustful, lustful um, uh, society, which is, it, it takes a lot of energy out of you. Um, and then we've got the appetite of greed. And what was that fourth one? Greed. So greed. just like that. Yeah, yeah. always, always wanting more, okay, that what we have is never enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until day 10 that this really kind of hit me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And what we do naturally is when we get emotional, which we are emotional beings, whether we're bored, angry, frustrated, frustrated anything like this, we eat. We're emotional eaters. We're not hungry. Oh, yeah, I can eating. attest to that. <laughs> right? I, I can attest to that. I do it. Me personally, I still do it even knowing this. We eat all the time, right? And... Then we keep feeding the other things like, you know, the, the lust and the greed. And we never feed our spirit. You know, we may do like a 15-minute meditation or kind of be like that. But that's, for me, that's just not enough. 
And when I got to do water fasting, all these other three appetites drop and your spirit appetite just gets fed because you're just internal work. You're really growing your willpower. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm going without the one thing that I've gone with my whole life and that's food for 20 days. And when you can realize how powerful your body is, that it can go that long, even a, even a three-day water fast is amazing or one-day water fast is amazing. Intermittent fasting is amazing. When you can start saying no to food, you can start saying no to a lot of other things in your life that aren't serving you. But if you don't say no to food and food becomes your master and you're a slave to food, which most people are, because you look on Instagram, you look at everywhere around, we're always socially around food. That's one thing we're attracted to, right? 100%. It's amazing. It's amazing. Food's delicious, right? We're meant to eat it, but we're not meant to eat it from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed, Mm. right? It's meant to, you know, for nutrition and to feed ourselves, not to feed our stomach. There's a difference. So when we can say no to this, and this is a big thing about me, is it's like, oh my gosh, and I can do 20 days on water, I can do anything, right? So it really, it really kind of just changed my whole life. Then. And straight after the 20 days of water, I did 20 days on cold-pressed juices. So I didn't go back to eating food straight away. I just drank juices. And then I slowly incorporated uh, food for another 20 days. So that's the biggest thing is most people break a fast incorrectly. Uh, and there's an old saying that uh, any fool can fast, but it takes a wise man to break it. Because you have to understand that all your organs, particularly your stomach, have shrunk because they're not getting it. Your whole digestive system goes dormant, goes to sleep. All the microbilla in your small intestine, they're asleep. So if you were to just go straight away and eat something quite high fiber and heavy, and someone was to eat meat straight away, you potentially could do more damage to your body. So you have to be very gentle, like have dilated juices, have like very soft fruits, eat in mono meal. So mono meal just means like one thing at a time and eat very slowly and consciously. You've got to do that and really build your body back up. The way I tell people is you've got to treat your stomach like you're a newborn. So a baby doesn't eat, you know, whole food straight away. It drinks mother's milk, right? It's got, you know, proteins, carbs, fats, and a lot of water, right? So that's how you kind of want to treat the stomach and introduce food back in after an extended bath. That's extremely important. So much amazing information. I have so so many questions. Um, Mm. I want to go back to spiritual appetite. You said that you can feed your spiritual appetite, and that seems to be the most starved of the four appetites that we as humans have. How do you like to um, feed your spiritual appetite? Because obviously 15, 20 minutes is not enough um, to be able to do that. I had uh, an interview with Michelle Richards. Um, that was episode eight. If you want to go back, if anyone wants to go back and listen to it, Michelle went away on 10-day um, silent meditation re- retreats. I think it's called Vipassana. Um, that really piqued my interest. Right. What, you're, what you've spoken about doing um, with the water fast has also piqued my interest. But how do you really feed yourself spiritually when you feel spiritually starved? Yeah, great question. First and foremost is I stop eating, <laughs> um, and it, it could be even a day, or it's definitely intermittent fasting. But it comes down to to just being really, really real with yourself, uh, and being completely vulnerable and honest with yourself. And, and for me, what I do is I pray. Uh, so I, I, for, for you know your listeners, I'm a Christian. Uh, that's that's my faith. That's really helped me through my journey. And I and I say it helped me, and it still helps me today because I'm not perfect. You know, I cannot rely on my own strength. I am. Deep down, I am a weak person um, and I can easily go to my comfort strategies. And I need that, that, that relief to go to someone I can just give all my problems, all my cares, all my worries with and, and just let it go. All right? We carry that so often with ourselves and we think we have to do all this life on our own and that's hard. So when I can just get to a place of being real and vulnerable and surrender, so I can do that through prayer, I do that through just like listening to music in a place of worship, um, I do that as well with like connecting with other like-minded individuals, and that's really important. People I can talk with on this on this matter and being really real, and particularly for men. Um, and I say this because we can be quite prideful creatures. Um, I go to a men's group every fortnight, um, and we catch up. We jump in the ocean, even during winter, it's freezing early in the morning. Oh and have, wow! <laughs> and then we and then we have breakfast together. But then after breakfast, we get real and vulnerable. You know, we share like, hey, I'm not doing well this week. And then you've got ten conscious men around you, going, how can we help you? All right. And that's feeding your spirit, knowing that you've got a community around you of, you know, people who want to help you and that you can help them too. You know, like Batman and I started the call before this and we said, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? So, you know, even talking to you, this is, this is lifting my soul, this is lifting my spirit. Me sharing this information is actually kind of preaching back to myself. So, you know, is, you know, talk to other people, be vulnerable, be real, let them know that you're not doing well. Pray, meditate, worship, and get passionate. That's the biggest thing. I, I tell people it's one of the principles of health that I teach people is are you spending time on your passions? 
And so many people don't know what they are. That's exactly what I was going to say. Exactly. You know, I I cried at one point, right? I was working with a a 65-year-old man who's going through a lot of health issues. I just asked, like, what do you do do for for you? What's your passion? And I kid you not, he looked at me with a blank face and goes, what's a passion? And I was like, Oh my life. So I worked with him through that half an hour. And I stopped he as a kid. I'm like, when was the last time you rode a bike? He's like, I can't remember. I was like, all right, this is your this is your objective this week. When you get a bike, I want you to go riding. I want you to let me know when you've done that. An hour back on. I haven't had this much fun. You know, I can't remember how long. He was he bought a bike inside a ride, right? That that lifts our spirit. That fills our spirit going doing things that we're passionate about. That's extremely important to health. So that's another yeah, that's what I do as well. Passionate for me, what I love doing is a few things, like I love learning on health, I love talking to people, I love sharing my passion, um, but I love getting out in nature. That's my biggest thing, is like really connecting with the negative energy of nature. And it's, it's, a, it's not a negative thing, it's, a, it's a, a magnetic type of energy. The negative um, ions? Negative ions, yeah. So grounding myself, going for a hike, things like this, and I can just breathe, and I'm good to go for like a whole week. So yeah. Yeah, there's there a lot to be for getting back to nature. Can you just repeat for me, because um, we broke up, the connection broke up a little bit. What was the age of the man you were working with that you spoke to him about what his passions were? Yeah, 65. 65, so, yeah. and he was like, what's your passion? Wow. He's like, he's like what is a passion? I have no yeah, idea what yeah. that even is. My um, goodness. And, that's, and, um, that, and that goes for a lot of people. They just work, 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 and then once work's finished, they don't know what to do with their lives. I know, and that's why people end up just unhappy and depressed because they're like, well, what are we even doing any of this for? I like to, I used to tell my clients all the time and something I've done for myself. And I guess I'm grateful that I have three sons because when you have kids, you kind of have an excuse to be a bit more of a kid, but think about what you used to like doing as a child or as a young person and just start there. Like you mentioned, ride a bike, you know, uh, that can give you so much joy. Just try it. Yeah. And that's, that, and that's the biggest thing. If anyone's listening, that's the best thing you can do is go back to your childhood and go, what did I love? doing and for me i did that again and i was like i used to do something. i haven't done that you know i can't remember how long so I've, i'm looking at buying a keyboard and i'm going to just be in my office and give myself creative time and, I, and i'm going to probably sing so badly <laughs> and <laughs> not play the piano well but it's going to be fun because it's going to re- reconnect to your child life um, yeah you know child side and that's so important very very important so we've had a really lovely and long interview i still have more questions but i think it would be great if we did another interview um at some point in the future and just keep hashing these things out because we haven't spoken about iridology and um plant-based eating and juice cleansing to go a little bit deeper into that do you have uh, a closing message or three practical steps that people can easily implement to help make their health better if they're starting to face some sort of health challenges, nothing, you know, nothing major, but just not feeling their best. What are three simple and very implementable changes that people can make? Sure, absolutely. So first and foremost, breathe more. Get some breathing into you. Do like a breathing exercise, like I mentioned, seven rounds of seven. Um, that'll be really helpful. Just get connected to your breath straight away. That's number one. Number two, I'd say, is get out and go for a walk um, and, and just, just move your body slightly. Even if you're like, you can't go to the gym, go for a walk. Start moving. So the movement will change your energy. Number one, that's a, that's a huge one. I'd say three is along with along with drinking more water, is eat more fruits and vegetables, uh, and that's it. I'm not saying go completely plant based, but just eat more fruits and vegetables. They're going to be really helpful. So yeah, that'd be my top three. Okay, beautiful. And are there any resources, any books that you recommend, and where can people find you on social media and all of that? Yeah, so social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook is just Mitchell Villani. Uh, that's spelled uh, V for Victor, I-L-L-A-N-I. Uh, I'll be having up my website pretty soon. I'm hoping within a month. That'll be MitchellVillani.com. Um, and resources, I'll just say, like, look up my mentor. Um, he's taught me everything about the seven principles of health, Tyler Tolman. Um, mm-hmm. he, he shares, like, free resources on, like, a seven-day juice cleanse and things like this on there. And he's got a lot of wealth that he's shared and knowledge that he's shared through um, YouTube channel as well. So they're big top ones. Beautiful. And Tyler regularly um, tours throughout Australia. I've been to see him myself. So um, I'll pop some links into the show notes so people can connect with yourself and see if they can find some of the resources from Tyler as well. So thank you so much, Mitch. Oh, you have been, been incredible, thank you. vulnerable and so giving. So I really honour you and thank you. Yeah, thank you again. It's been an honour. So yeah, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I truly hope you have found it beneficial and have taken some value from it. Hopefully a lot. 
If you did, please, please share this show with anyone you feel may need to hear it. I would also absolutely love if you would take a minute or two to review this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever platform you happen to be listening to it on. With your help, we can accomplish my mission to positively impact 10 million lives. That would be so awesome. Now, if you want to connect with me or my guests on other platforms, or if you want to send me an email with questions or ideas of guests to interview, please check out the show notes. I am so incredibly grateful to have had your time today, and I can't wait to have you on the next episode. Have a great day.